Welcome to The Flock, a podcast about the parishioners of St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church in Goshen, Indiana. Now, join David Post as he talks with the people of St. John's about their faith and how they try to live it every day. Welcome to another episode of The Flock. Uh, This week we are talking to Roger Schmucker, who is someone that my family has gotten to know really well. And I'm excited to talk to Roger tonight and to hear a little bit about his story and how he uh, ended up at St. John's. So before we get started with the conversation, though, uh, Mr. Sapp is going to lead us in prayer. Thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to get together. We thank you for filling us with your words. We are so in awe of the way that you have brought people to St. John's and then brought this opportunity for us to share their stories with everybody else. It's just been an amazing thing to get to to know all these people that we see all the time and just get to know them a little bit better. Lord, we hope that this sparks an opportunity for people to create new friendships, create deeper friendships, and just create friendships that are based upon our love for you, Lord. We thank you for David and Roger, and I just pray that uh, you send your Holy Spirit upon them and that their talk tonight can continue to bring us together and build a stronger parish. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Mr. So Roger, um, like I said, our family's been fortunate enough to get to know you a little bit, and I know you have a pretty uh, amazing story. So if you don't mind, start at the beginning a little bit, kind of your early life, where things got started, and we'll go from there. Okay, let me say first that I really appreciate your family. Thank you. Um, And how I met the Post family is, I work third shift, so I come in, go to the 8 o'clock mass, or the earliest mass, uh, and sit in the front row so uh, nothing would distract me because I'm already tired. Well, I, I was sitting, sit there, and, and yeah, this family would sit next to me, and there's this five-year-old boy. <laughs> and somehow we struck up a little bit of a con- quiet conversation, and he started reading me out of these books he had. Uh-huh. And every Sunday it was like that. <laughs> and um, then I got to know the rest of the yeah. Post family. Mm-hmm. And this was pre, pre-Nathaniel, pre-Matthew. Oh, yeah, that's right. Long, yeah, I can't believe how the kids have grown. So, um, and, uh, the, and uh, the Post family has been a huge blessing to me when I need it. And I noticed that throughout my life, God has brought people into my life when I need it. And, um, but anyway, going back to my story, well, I was uh, born in Elkhart in 1950, so I'm 72. I've always lived in Indiana. Uh Um, I've been very briefly to the other countries. Um, And uh, so I was growing up. Uh, My father was raised Amish, but he never joined the Amish church. He decided when he was young. He was not going to remain Amish, and he was not going to farm. Mm. 
Okay. And long story short, World War II, he was drafted, and he served in Europe, um, and uh, got back. And he met mother, and they got married in '49. And so my dad wanted to make use of the GI Bill while it was still good. Uh-huh. So he had no high school. Yeah. But he went to Tri-State College, which is now Triune University. Yeah. It took him five years, no high school. Wow. But he graduated. I can still remember his graduation. So I would have been probably four or five. Okay. And, um, but... My family of or, or origin. See, I'm the oldest of five boys. Five of us, no sisters. Okay. okay. At some point, a real deep problems developed in my family of origin and it became hugely dysfunctional. When people, well, if I tell people I had a dysfunctional family of origin, they say, oh, we all got yeah. dysfunctional families. I said, no, this is extremely dysfunctional yeah you just have no idea and um i will just say this my father was twice committed to psychiatric institutions against uh-huh. well um and um after the second uh time in while he was still in the state psychiatric hospital um he and mother divorced because it just simply is right. impossible and, um, but, um, so there's a lot of things happened in my family of origin. I just, I just, there's like a whole ton of things. Yeah. Uh, but, um, my mom had a lot to deal with and uh-huh. she had five sons, you know. Uh-huh. So that's a tough go. Uh, later on, mother remarried. Ma- oh, my folks are Protestant. Mom was a devout Protestant. Uh-huh. She, something she did really good for us boys is uh, take us to churches where we learned the Bible at a very young age, uh-huh. and it was fun to do, oh, at least yeah. me. Yeah. And uh, now, when I was young, I did not have the physical ability to do well in sports, okay. gym and all that. Uh-huh. Now, the four younger brothers had no problem. Okay. Just fine. Yep. So they're out doing sports, and I'm at home reading books. I've got mm-hmm. a lot, of, a big library. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've continued to read a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a special interest in philosophy, in history, the Bible, theology. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school, I dated a Catholic girl from St. John's. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, we eventually broke up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, and then at the same time, I was working at Jill Perry's variety store as a stock boy. Yeah. And a member of St. John's, Larry Unger, was the first person to tell me why he became Catholic. Uh-huh. I remember at the time, you know, here I am, what, 16 years old? And I thought, no, he, he's wrong. But it turned out he was right. Uh-huh. I look back on it. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I've kept in contact with him for many years. I, he was the manager at Geo Perry's. Um, so, um, so since high school, I've had contact with Catholics. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I have two, um, Elkhart County Wright's life, I met two Catholics, Roger okay. Stickle and Janelle Slayton. Okay. This is back when I was married. And both always lived their Catholic faith mm. consistently. They knew what it was and what it meant, and they took it very seriously. And I, I never, ever doubted their sincerity. Right. So they were a witness. Yeah. Um, and they were both from St. John's at the time. Janelle now goes to a different church. Roger Stickle died uh, and, since then. But... Um, so I'm out in front of my apartment in Goshen, and Roger Stickle's riding by on his bicycle, and he says, hey, why don't you come to RCIA you know, in August? Wow, and, yeah. And I said, okay, you know, I can go once. If I don't like it, I don't have to go back yeah. again. But it was Jim Leatherman. Yeah. Oh, my word. You know, I've read all this philosophy and history and all yeah. this stuff, and which was really important to me. Yeah. In, in fact, that's why I'm a Christian to begin with is, backtrack a little bit when i was in college i went to took courses at three different places but okay. most of them were uh bethel college iusb huge mm. contrast bethel conservative christian school the, yeah uh dress code iusb not a stick of christianity and no dress code to speak of as long as you had some kind of clothing on and um so i but in college i developed a lot of questions about things okay. and one of the Failings of the Protestant Church when I was growing up was not telling me why it was true. Okay. They just asserted it. And, and, um, they started questioning a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I started reading philosophy and talking to people and yeah. upsetting some. I, and, um, and I did extensive reading on all yeah. sides. Yeah. I, I came to the conclusion at one point, you know, Christianity just can't be true because it's inherently contradictory. Contradictions don't exist in reality. At, at approximately the end of six years, so I kept reading and studying. Yeah, I really yeah. wanted truth. Then the six, all the answers just came. Wow. I mean, it's just like, and it wasn't like uh, a stone appearing on a desk or right. something. It was like the answers came to me in a way that made sense to me that I could understand mm-hmm. and addressed philosophical questions and all this other stuff. So I'm back being Christianized Protestant, devout Protestant. So take RCA at St. John's. So mm-hmm. I went and it was Jim Leatherman. Mm-hmm. So I've read all this philosophy and, and, and some theology and I know the Bible really well and here's Jim Leatherman that can speak to that. Mm-hmm. Just like, blew me away. This guy. <laughs> um, and um, because he could talk to the intellectual, and he could talk to the poorly educated layperson. I mean, right. it, it, throughout the whole gamut. Right. And, and he did really well. And um, so I stayed through the whole thing, and actually I went through more than just one season Cycle of, it. of it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it got to where he used to call me the perennial. But, um, <laughs> so as I'm going through this, um, I had a class reunion. I went to Bethany Christian mm-hmm. High School in Goshen, and I had a class reunion. Well, prior to that, they had sent questionnaires out, and for all those who replied, they put it in a book. Mm-hmm. Okay, a classmate of mine, Dennis Martin, wasn't present, but he had replied to his questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And in, in his book, he had the longest list of accomplishments 
and they're all academic, they're all scholarly. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a PhD historian. Yeah. He looked, taught at Loyola uh, University in Chicago. At the end of this whole thing, he says, after uh, I forget how many years of studying medieval, molast- medieval monasticism and something else, I, I entered the Catholic Church. I, my word, Menno Simon's rolling over in his grave. <laughs> and, and, um, and because we went to Mennonite High School. And yeah. so I contacted him after all those years. Yeah. After 30 years. And um, uh, so then we had this vibrant email conversation, yeah. you know, conversation, phone. Uh, I went to visit him twice. He sent me books and materials. Uh, he's a fount of wisdom. And he knew all, yeah. you know, he's a, a PhD. He's yes. Catholic. He knows what he's talking about. And... Um, so that was one thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Another thing that happened is years ago, I was driving to work, and so I, I pray, God, if the claims of the Catholic Church are true, and if what this stuff is about Mary is true, please have someone give me a rosary, a rosary without my asking. So as I'm going through this process, wow. Janelle, Slayton, out of the blue, says, you know, holds up this nice wood rosary and says, Do you, would you want this? Just blew me away. Wow. And then, um, but I studied, I studied, I studied. Yeah. And I've got a thick notebook with all my notes in it. And at one point, and I read a lot of things on yeah. different sides. And, um, at one point, as we were studying through this, it's like, oh, my thinking is Catholic. Now, backing up a little bit, when I was at Bethel College, which is now Bethel University, um, I began to see things in the New Testament and put things together, some things together. Now, they, I didn't know it was Catholic. Sure. It turns out that my thinking beginning in college was Catholic. It's, you know, like about the Eucharist, right. about uh, authority in the church, right. things I didn't, never heard anybody talk about. And uh, so putting all this stuff together, uh, then I decided to enter the Catholic Church. But I couldn't do it when the others in the RCIA class did at Easter time because of my job. Okay. So on April 30, 2000, I and my sponsor, Janelle, I entered the Catholic Church, you know, in the places packed. Yeah. Okay, the day before I was sick and I had a fever. Uh-huh. And I said, God, if you want me to enter the Catholic Church tomorrow, you're going to have to take away this fever. So I, I just waited. I'm going to see yeah. what happens. And I, and I yeah. woke up Sunday morning and I wasn't up to par, but I didn't have a fever, so I went in and did that. So that's, what, that's the, one of the very best decisions I have ever made. And the people of St. People of St. John's, to me, have always been friendly. I mean, in like uh, when I was early on there, I'd be praying. You know, that's back then I could kneel and pray. Yeah. People would come up to me and talk to me. I was praying, which is, <laughs> I look back on it and I think, well, that's, that's really a good sign because, um, and, you know, the people of St. John's are loving, caring people. Yeah. And it's not just the Post family, your family, no, but, you know, the Woodells and yeah. Sister Colleen and a bunch of other people, George Paul. I mean, it's just going on. Um, Rekindle the Fire, 
Knights of Columbus, etc. Um, a lot of friends there, people I pray for. And um, being Catholic has helped me in very concrete ways. In 2005, in October 2005, I found my father. Okay, in my dad's later years, he and I became close. We yeah. could relate. Okay. And I helped him. I drove him and his girlfriend where they wanted to go and whatever. And so I saw him frequently. So I found his, I found his body after he died. Mm-hmm. I had just been with him in the nursing home, talking with him. He, uh, I was told there was a person from hospice seeing me. So I said, Dad, I have to go see this person. But I'll be right back. Come back. He was on the floor, deceased. Wow. And I just like, oh, my God. So, but after that, there were some problems that came up, and I'm not going to say any more about what the problems were, but it was pretty significant. Yeah. And being Catholic and the deuterocanonical portions of Scripture immensely helped me. And that was a very concrete thing. Um, and uh, the one thing that caused some doubt after I became Catholic was the marriage tribunal during my annulment process. Okay. And, but I got through that. Yeah. And stick with it. You know, it's like if you, if you make a major decision in life, at some point, you, early on, you may be really challenged. Yes. And so that's a test. Yeah. So, um, and then being Catholic has helped me since then. You know, things like confession, mm. the, uh, the Eucharist, um, and um, Catholic prayers. When I entered the Catholic Church, I by the time I entered the Catholic Church, I knew there's this huge treasure of spirituality in the Catholic Church, and a lot of cradle Catholics don't realize it. Right. And it's like this is just like like G. K. Chesterton said: uh, the Catholic Church is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, so it was, it, was, it was a great decision. It has helped me do the right thing at times I've been really tempted not to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it's a spiritual journey, you know. I don't, still growing, still sin, I still need to go to confession, but I'm better than I was. God has got me through a lot. Uh, and also, another really huge thing is uh, September of 2015, my then wife let me know she was going to divorce me. It was a very, very strange divorce, the thing she said and did. Nonetheless, it happened. It was unwanted. I couldn't stop it. Uh, and uh, a month after that was final, my mother died. Then two months after that, my son died. He had shot himself, and I found his body. And those are just overwhelming losses. Yes. I mean, just almost like overnight, just one thing right after that, right. bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Then I quit working in May of 2016 just to deal with it all. Yeah. Then I started working part-time in October of 16, but then on August, I think August 2nd, 2016, a good friend died. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just couldn't hardly believe it. I had to go on the internet to verify that he had, died in an accident because it's just yeah. like so much had happened and in such a short time I just couldn't believe this right. was happening and um, but God got me through all that and it's amazing 
what God will do if you surrender to him and commit everything to him on his terms. If you seriously do that, God will act in you, in your life. And so, and I've had times where it's like, God, I really want to commit this hugely serious, significant thing to you, but I'm having a really hard time doing it. I commit my difficulty in committing it to yeah. you, to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean, God makes a way when we have difficulties. And and I mean, good night. He came to earth in human form. He suffered, yeah. died, buried, resurrected, and all that. Uh, I said it too fast, like no account. I, but anyway, I, it's really I, I, important. I yes. But I mean, so so God put Himself in the human situation. So God knows what we're about, yeah, and what what we need, and and um, you know, He also knows when we need to wait. You know, I've already prayed about things, and, and it's like, well, two three years later, okay, then that happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Or like a nephew of mine that was very wayward, who recently became Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and other thing, my dad in the last several years of his life was amazing changes. He took God really seriously. Mm-hmm. I wasn't Catholic, but he had a basic Protestant understanding. Yeah, and uh, the changes in him were remarkable. It was just, you know, it's like this my dad. Yeah. Um. He still had problems, but they weren't as severe. Yeah. And he did things on his own initiative that he wouldn't have done before, like initiate prayers, mm-hmm. um, some other things. So, um, anyway, St. John's has meant a lot to me. It's a, a stable place that feels like home. They kind of plug into Benedictine spirituality. You know, mm-hmm. he talks about stability, order, um, the sacrament, scripture work, that kind of thing. And I'm a firm believer that <clears throat> if we're Catholic, unless there's something awful, awful, awful going on in our home parishes, that's our home. We need to stick there. It's like it's yeah. like it's like uh, it's like your family of origin, or you're, you're married and have a family. Disagreements, or arguments, yeah. anger, whatever, but you don't leave. Mm-hmm. Same with your local church. Mm-hmm. There have been things at St. John's I haven't always liked, but no, it's my home. I'm not going to yeah. go away. Yeah. And um, uh, we have been very blessed with good priests, super good music. <laughs> I, yes. I'm t- uh, anybody who's not been to St. John's should come to a 9 o'clock Mass. When it's complete with incense, you got choir. I mean, just yeah. the whole thing. It's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, and now I look back on it, I think about Protestant worship services. Wow, it's just kind of empty in yeah. a sense. Yeah. You know, it's like. Once you've experienced that. Yeah, once pretty... you get through it. Now, it took me a while to really acclimate myself, mm-hmm. to really catch on to things in the mass. Mm-hmm. And I bought myself, uh, I recommend this to everybody, a Roman daily missile available through Scepter Press or Midwest Theological Foundation. Mm-hmm. It costs, I don't know, $80, $90. But it's got all the masses for all the year, mm-hmm. every day of the year. 
Yep. Plus, on the saints and at the back, it's got a handbook of prayers. It is one of the most fabulous things. Mm -hmm. um, but I gradually learned it. There's a lot of stuff that took me a while. I mean, I was 49 years a Protestant. Yeah. You know, and, I, and um, but I, there is, there is so much in Catholic theology that is really relevant to our time. It's mm -hmm. very incarnational. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like Father Gregerson said one time in a sermon, uh, we pray the Mass to the Father, to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And I've latched on to that. And so I see all of my praying that way. And it helps me focus on the Mass and usually before Mass, I read the Mass readings, uh, the prayers and all that, mm -hmm. and I pray, God, please, you know, no distractions mm -hmm. or whatever, And but nonetheless, your will be done. I always sit up on the merry side mm -hmm. at the front row. Now, I have osteoarthritis. Kneeling is painful. Standing in one place is, can be painful, but I can walk. Walking mm -hmm. is okay. But to stand in one place or kneel is uh, unnecessarily uncomfortable. <laughs> So, um, everything you shared has been awesome, but I do want to uh, take a moment, and if you wouldn't mind, one of the things I know you've been passionate about is the prison ministry. Oh, yeah. And I just want at least you to mention that and talk a little bit about your involvement with that, because um, I think that's been a, a really awesome thing, and it's something a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, yeah, but yeah, just take a moment to talk about that. Oh, okay. So pre-COVID, okay. F people at St. John's have been excellent in recommending things to me. Um, after my son died, was it before? I can't remember when I started this. Actually, no. I think that was. The people at St. John's recommended I get involved in certain other ministry-type things and uh -huh. hostile things. But anyway, uh, pre-COVID, I was involved in helping lead a Bible study at the Elkhart County Jail. Now, previous to that, I have visited prisoners in five of Indiana's prisons, and I have visited people, in, inmates in the Elkhart County Jail and the Kosciuszko County Jail. Uh -huh. I know former inmates. Um, and um, so leading the, and, and there's a former felon mm -hmm. who's out now doing fine. He is, he, he's very close to me. Yeah. And I, his name's Tracy. And I say, Tracy, my mom and stepfather should have adopted you. You're just like a brother. And uh, he is. He's like a brother. I consider him like family. And, um, one of the things I've seen, my mom and my stepfather, they're Protestants, but they're involved in jail and prison ministry as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I see, and I'll use Tracy as an example. Tracy, we got to know Tracy when he was in prison through another prisoner. So we started visiting Tracy as well as this other guy. And uh, when he got out, my mom and stepfather offered him a free place to live, mm -hmm. uh, church, social network, uh, yeah. Uh, financial advice, yeah. uh, help him get a car, whatever. Okay. Tracy latched onto that. 
and became really important uh, to them and to me. And and now he's um, uh, got a house. He's you know he's in a car. He needs prayer. He he's working at a job. And he's a good worker. Uh, and but he applied for another job elsewhere, and they said we'll hire you. And so he turned in his two week notice. And a week into that, the other company said, "Oh, we don't need you now." Uh-huh. So and they had already filled his position. Sure. So he needs a job. So if you remember Tracy, pray for Tracy. Um, and uh, now on the other hand, there's a another person that is in some ways close to family uh, who did not latch on. To those things and he's out he's working and so forth but he's got problems mm-hmm. he creates for himself mm-hmm. anyway but there are a lot of guys who if you just walk alongside him um will do okay mm-hmm. but so we need to get rid of the, the the misconception that all felons are alike yeah they aren't they're um there's some pretty bad people who are committed felonies, and there's still bad people. But there's other people who really come around. Oh, and I also correspond with a fellow who's an inmate at um, prison in Illinois, and we talk on the phone. Um, and there's a, a guy who was in prison. He's out now. That I'm in contact with him. And um, one time years ago, around my mom and stepfather's big kitchen table, Dining room table, actually. There were these men who had committed a whole range of extremely serious felons who were out and who were going a good way. Uh-huh. And it was, there's no threatening. I did, there was nobody felt threatened. We, I mean, it was just like good fellowship. And I yeah. thought, yeah, this is God work, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of people in prisons and they're going to get out. And when they get out, if we shun them and shove them aside like lepers, their only resort is going to be to crime. Yeah. But anyway, I, when COVID hit, the jail closed the opportunities for any volunteers to go in. And since then, the jail has not reopened to volunteers and groups like Bible studies because the sheriff's department does not have enough officers to handle the volunteers in the jail. And when we were doing the Bible study pre-2020, I learned what the ratio of officers to jail population was at any one time, and it just blew me away. Right. You know, a dozen officers sometimes, and you got eight, 900 inmates. But everything's electronic. You know, all the doors are electronic, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, you have to go through multiple doors to get places. Um, so they made it work for the most part, although there were some times it didn't work. Not, I mean, not when I was present. Yeah. Well, one time, so we were, we were having this Bible study, and it was time to end it. The only problem was that part of the system no longer worked okay. in the jail. So we had to just be there for a while. <laughs> and then we walked out through a pod. Like the jails yeah. split up into different pods. We had to walk through this pod to get out around to the front and uh but it was and then god did marvelous things there sometimes we're waiting to process in because you have to process in and there'd be somebody a, 
uh, somebody not involved in ministry mm-hmm. standing there, and we strike up conversation with them. They may yeah. be somebody reporting for a weekend uh, yeah. in jail, or they're just getting out, or whatever it is, you know. And uh, one time, I didn't. We didn't know this ahead of time, but we were, they had canceled our class, but I mm-hmm. didn't know it. Yeah. So go. We go in, and. Uh, Nobody says anything. They let us in, you know, good processing, go all the way, get back to that room, and the guy, there, there's no... Someone there. Well, no, there oh, was one guy okay. there, but no class. And he was, he and his property, he was sitting on the floor next to the wall, and his property was next to him, and he was waiting to be moved to someplace else. And so we had this hour, hour and a half, whatever, just talk with this one guy. Mm. And I thought... And then it turned out we weren't supposed to be there. I thought, okay, who but God? It's arranged so, that, yeah. Yeah, you know, I see, see things like that. And uh, the whole time, because we're in the jail, we're having a Bible study. It's a room, it's got um, tables, we've got chairs. Yeah. And there's a, a room with a toilet and a sink. And there's a camera, cameras. Uh, but when we're in there, the, when we shut the door, it's locked. We cannot, nobody in that room can yeah. walk out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if necessary, we... Yeah. So, but I never, there was only one time I ever felt like there was going to be any problem. Mm-hmm. And that was a guy who appeared to be acting very mentally ill. I just silently prayed, and he didn't do anything. Uh, but outside of that one time, I felt fine. Yeah. And once, and once we were there for a while and got rapport with some of these guys... Sometimes they would open up and tell us what they had done and about the problems of families and other things. And uh, it was just amazing. Um, and uh, so not everybody took, it, took hold of it in a good way. I mean, a solid way, but others. And one guy that was in there, Travis, he's a Catholic, and he got sent from there to a, a prison in Indiana, and he and I correspond, and sometimes talk on the phone. And he is very, very on fire for God, and Catholicism. Well, I truly appreciate that. That's mm-hmm. something that you've got involved in, and I, I, I've enjoyed learning more about it in, in <clears> our <throat> own conversations that we've had. Um, as we kind of close things out, I just want to ask: uh, Do you have any prayer requests that you would like to share with the parish? Oh, can I add something? Yes. Just occurred to me. This is God acting. Okay, I spent most of my adult life working in psychiatric and residential treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people, I think, think God is somehow spiritually out there. Okay, fine, we're going to have eternal life, but doesn't answer our prayers. You know, he doesn't deal with us in concrete ways, but he does. So, um, the kind of jobs I had, had danger to them. And I knew every day or every night, every day or night that I would go into work, I could expect to be cussed out a little bit, told off. It was just part of this, you know. But the, the, the residents didn't know normal, and they were violent and destructive. And there were times when I could easily have been very seriously injured because of acting out residents. And I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time I, there was a heavy metal object thrown at me. 
I mean, at this at this point, they don't allow such things in units back then. So, uh, and it missed. And another time, I confronted a, a very strong 15-year-old teenage boy who bullied staff and patients mm. and injured staff. Yeah. And I just, I basically, in as kind and compassionate a way as I could, I would not allow him to bully me. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him. He turned away. Mm-hmm. Now, he did almost kill another staff person at one point. But, um, and there's another time where there was this big teenage boy mm-hmm. with this desk chair, and he's holding it up. And I'm right there in front of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things like that. It's like... You could see God working. I... God, I don't know why, but I'm super glad. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know why. Um, or, or it's like my brother Kurt in 1983, I think it was. Uh, it might be the wrong. Anyway, early to mid 90s or 80s, early to mid 1980s, he was in Sarasota where he lived. He was on his motorcycle, and he he was a student. Mm-hmm. He had the right of way, and a car did not stop stop sign hit him. Long story short, uh, broken neck. Two broken vertebrae and a broken arm. And um, the guy in the bed next to him had the same neck injuries and was paralyzed. Kurt's up walking around. Not only is he up walking around, he had a whole career in the Air Force, wow. subsequent shorter career in the U.S. State Department. And it's like, I've always thought God had something for Kurt. But anyway, uh, 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 a prayer request. My brother Brian, he's my English brother, his wife Don is suffering, has suffered for a long time with constant daily pain that prohibits her from being fully engaged in some things, um, has just taken a real toll on her. Uh, She's in the hospital with an infection. She gets out tomorrow or soon thereafter, goes home uh, with intravenous IVs at home. Yeah. For antibiotics, she, she's in very fragile medical condition. Yeah, and um, and my friend Tracy needs a job. Yeah, I'll pray for those things. Okay, so let's close in prayer. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for Roger's witness, his ability to see your work in many challenges he's faced in his life, um, but how he's always been, we, we just thank you for the fact that he's been able to always find you, even even in pain, even in suffering, even in the challenges he's faced, he's always been able to find you and find your hand um, in his life. Uh, we ask that you uh, bless his uh, sister-in-law Dawn and his brother, Uh, Help them to ease their suffering. Help them to find peace um, amidst the trials they're facing. Uh, Please bless Tracy, um, Roger's friend, and uh, help him to find employment um, and and just find stability in his life. And and finally, Lord, we just um, thank you for all that Roger has done for our parish. and all the many people that he has reached 
And we just ask that you continue to bless him, um, fill him with all the knowledge that he uh, enjoys learning about the faith, and uh, fill him with hope and peace. In your name we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. St. John the Evangelist, pray for pray us. For us. And we look forward to our next episode of The Flock and uh, future parishioners that we'll get to talk to. Thanks.